You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Whoopsie, whoopsie, sorry, wrong, uh, <laughs> wrong after dark music there. That's, uh, what do we got here? Here we go. All right, all right we got it now, we got it. You, you feel this, this nervousness on the phone there? Sir, I've been trying to make an urgent phone call up there. Well, I don't think it's something I want to do on an overseas phone. You gotta make some phone calls. Hang up the phone, prank call, prank call. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Packernet After Dark. It's party time. We're going to have some fun tonight. After what we freaking had to endure with that Vikings game, we deserve a little fun. I, I, I'm not kidding you. I was sitting here that entire first half going, what do I do? Do I dedicate all of Sunday to a laughing at the Vikings segment? Because I don't want to wait too long. But I feel like that needs to happen. But also, we got a Packer game coming up, and there's Sunday games going on, and all that. I don't know what to do. Well, fortunately, I guess uh, if nothing else, it solved that problem. But we deserve a little fun. All right, let's have some fun. Anyways, if you would like to participate in Packernet After Dark, it's very easy to do. So you just call the number six zero eight five zero one zero seven one eight. Leave a message at the beep, and we'll talk about whatever it is you said. Uh, after said beep. We do not have any new callers, though, so you know what we got to do. We got to start with Mr. Thomas Austin. Tom, kick it off, man. What you doing? Hey, what's going on, Tom? Don't interrupt me. Blame. And tonight, we have a special guest, Ryan Slip. Now, Ryan, uh, on this game... I already hate this game, Tom. I hate this game. What are we we doing? As you don't know, uh, I will be saying three players who are underperforming this year. Okay. Regardless of stats that could potentially say otherwise, such as interceptions. Okay. Sacks. Yeah. Or anything of that nature. Okay. Because they are not making the eye test for fans. (laughs) Okay. Also for people who grade them. Sorry, it just reminded me of when people say stuff like doing the marijuana. They're not making the eye test. So, like I said, I'm going to say player's name, and you tell me where we're going to place the blame. Okay, do it. Are we going to place it on the scheme? No, I, all right. On the coaching? Yep. The player themselves? Yes. Or has this always been who they are? Okay. Or parenting. All and right, go. I guess the first person to start with is Darnell Savage. Where are we going to place the blame for his lackluster performance this year? All right, so, so here's the deal. I'm going to go, it's not 100% Darnell Savage. I think everybody's pretty clear on where I stand with Darnell Savage. I know everybody in Packers fandom is done with him, and I'm not saying he's a good football player. What I'm saying is he is playing significantly worse than he was under Mike Pettin, as is Adrian Amos, by the way, by a lot. Um, We saw Savage take a step in year two. Now, what was his ceiling? I don't know. Maybe what we saw in year two for a half a year is as good as it gets with him. Maybe he's like that guy in, what is it? Uh, The heck is that? We always, there's always talks about us picking him up. Cleveland, I want to say. It doesn't sound right. It feels all right, but it doesn't sound right. Um, 
But, but you know, maybe he's just a flash in the pan, you know, four or five good games a year, but otherwise he's not great. But this level of trash, I'm sorry. I'm putting largely on Joe Barry. Now, his his lack of ceiling might be his fault, but him busting through the floor the way that he has this year, and 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 I don't when I say Joe Barry, I don't mean to say that it's necessarily his fault and he he messed up or whatever. But at the very least, and maybe maybe because you did say scheme, I will I will blame scheme at the very least. Maybe it's Joe Barry, I don't know. Maybe it's the scheme, I don't know. But and 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 part of it might also have to do with with the overall defensive players giving up. So Let's look at the variety of factors. Number one, Darnell Savage was never that good. Fair enough. Fair enough. Number two, the defense as a whole and all of its players within have given up, and Savage is likely one of them. Okay? Number three, the safeties have taken a massive plummet, in particular in this system that we were told is a system that leans heavier on safeties. Right? So I think it's a combination. I do think we're coming down way too hard on Savage in in just isolating it to he is a bad football player. I think he's better than what what he's showing right now. Um I don't know if he would ever be a great safety or even a good safety, but I know I I am 95% sure he's not this bad because he's he's never even in his rookie year he wasn't this bad. So it is a little disappointing, but uh, that that's that's sort of where I stand on it. I guess if that's I hope I hope I'm allowed to distribute in such a way. Go ahead. Next up, all right, Jair Alexander. Yep, man got paid a lot, and he's not living up to the money that he was given. So where are we going to play? The blame. <laughs> uh, all right. I want to look at one thing really quick. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull up a lifeline. And yes, as usual, my lifeline is going to be PFF. I just want to see one thing. So based on what PFF has to say, if, if, if we're saying that Jair Alexander is not playing well, I'm going to go with the final choice, which is Jair was never actually that good. Here's why I'm saying that. And the reason I phrase it that way, by the way, is that he has a 77.8 overall grade, which is to say he's good bordering on very good. But here are his grades. And keep in mind, what we're doing is we're comparing him to the 2020 Jair number one corner in football season. Jair's grades have been 72, 71, 90, 73, 77. I don't think necessarily that Jair is the number one corner in football. I don't know that he is a 90 overall every year corner. I think he is a 75-ish overall corner, which is a good corner in the NFL. I think he's good. I think he has the potential to be very, very good. We've seen the speed. We've seen the instincts. We've seen those kinds of things. But I don't think necessarily consistently. I think that there are two things. Number one, we should lower our expectations and stop thinking about that year and maybe recalibrate a little bit because it's unfair to hold him to that expectation but then also number two would be to lower our expectation overall of Jair Alexander. So it's unfair to expect him to be number one, but I also don't think he's top three. 
or even tight. I mean, he can be. But to expect him to be that sort of lockdown every year elite corner, I just I don't I don't see any proof that he's that guy. Now, granted, two of the years would be his rookie year, which we could th- kind of throw out, and his uh, injured year in 2021. But that still leaves now a sample of 2019, where he had a 72, and this year, which is actually his his graded out as his second best year, including his coverage. It's, it's his uh, second highest overall defensive grade his highest overall run defense grade, his second highest tackling grade, and his second highest coverage grade. You got to remember, in his first two years, he was giving up like games of 100 plus yards. I don't want to say regularly, but it kind of sucked. I mean, him and Kevin King would be like, dude, what are you guys doing? He has four interceptions this year. He's never had four. He's got a 70 um, NFL passer rating, which is his second best compared to 2020. So it's unfair to say that he's having a bad year because he's not. It's not 2020, though, which is upsetting to us, and that's fair. Now, with that said, do I think that maybe he could be better optimized in the scheme? Maybe. I think generally my biggest concern would be the the, the lack of... Um, I'm not even going to say lack of effort, because I, I, I don't know that Jair isn't one of those guys that, that always brings it. I haven't necessarily seen that. I think he's got the attitude and the swagger. He wants to be that guy. I don't see him as somebody who's going to take the money and run. I see him as a guy who wants to be that elite number one lockdown corner. He wants to to just have that swag and be that guy. And I'll also say that I can't really blame the scheme because as much as Packer fans, even to this day, continue to say that we're using him way too soft and all that stuff, I don't know how you can keep saying that because every time he's in man, he gets beat. Has he ever had a good day this entire year when he's been manned up against somebody? I mean, since since week one, we've been all. Oh, I can't believe you didn't put him in man against Justin Jefferson. And then we put him in man coverage against Nikhil Harry, and he gets beat. And it's been happening all year. Now, again, I I I, I want to separate a couple things out. I don't think it's true that if we would just use him, quote unquote, properly, as in tight man coverage all week or all week every week, all day every week. I don't know that he'd be better. But I still think that there is an issue where Jair is not being maximized. Now, let me give you an example. This past week, one of those times he got beat. If you listen to what Dusty Evely had said, and I know Sam Holman talked about it recently, they were they had a game plan coming in of being aggressive on shorter throws. Essentially, what it seemed like they were saying is, expect Justin to not challenge us down deep because he's a coward and the Bears are cowards and he sucks in the deep throws anyways and just don't worry about it. And so, essentially, he spent a lot of time worrying more about the underneath and not worrying about his stuff going up over his head. Secondly, as was pointed out, I don't exactly remember by who, you could see that on the one play, he didn't know the call. He's asking, he's waving his arms, what's going on? There is a general communication problem with the defense. So, I think it's entirely possible that Jair is a top, what, let's, let's look what a, a 77 gets you, generally. Jair is the 11th ranked corner in football. So he is a top 10 to 15 corner as opposed to a top three corner. Maybe. Maybe if you tighten up the scheme or get a different coordinator that suits him better, or does, maybe he goes back to being top three. I don't know. Let, let's, cut the, let's split the difference here and say if we could utilize him better, we can have a for sure top 10 guy that isn't guaranteed to be top two, top three but is a for sure top 10. None of this top 11 stuff and a heck of a lot less 
bad days and blown coverages. Does that seem fair? And finally, for Kenneth Clark, where are we going to place the blame? Thank you so much for joining me Mm -hmm. on this episode of Place the Blame. Uh, Tune in next time when I completely scrap this idea and never do it again. All right. I'm going to put this, I and and maybe I'm wrong, and I'm sure a little bit maybe goes on Joe Barry and a little bit here and a little bit there. I'm going to put this like 90% on Kenny Clark. I really am. Um, we've see, This is year two of Joe Barry. Year one of Joe Barry, he was average Kenny Clark, right? He was a 75 overall PFF grade in 2021. That's what he was in 2020. That's what he was in 2019. That's what he was in 2016. Basically, Kenny's had two really good years. That was 2017, 2018. He was never that guy again. When Patton came in, whatever Dom was doing seemed to suit him better because he went from a 75 to an 87 to a 90. Then we bring in Patton, and he drops down to the 70s. And then year two, he stays 70s in this whole thing that they're doing. I don't know, whatever it is. This year... And, and here's the thing. He started off white hot, and I, I, I talked about that weekly. We've the, He is on pace to go right back to 2017, 2018, Kenny. What the heck happened? The guy has not had a good game since week five. What happened around that time? Now, maybe he's got some kind of a lingering injury. Maybe they made some big schematic change. I don't know. But I can tell you definitively around that time, week five, week four-ish, five-ish, is around the time when you realize something was broken with this team and specifically with this defense. I shouldn't even say that. The offense might have even been worse at the time. Not one good game. The only other one that was, I guess, close would be the next week against the Jets, 69-8. We can call that a 70, although he had one of his worst tackling grades that entire game. Since then, Kenny Clark, 62-37-32-47-65-46-63. He can barely keep his head above water as being average. And 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 it's it, you can't tell me it's scheme because I watch him at 315 pounds jump on the back of a of a 195 pound running back and can't bring him down. I th- this is this is again everybody I think has a little bit. There's a little bit of Maybe we overestimate. And I've been telling everybody that we've overestimated Kenny for years. I've been saying that. But my, but the baseline, my baseline, is 75 PFF grade Kenny. While the rest of the fan base thinks he's still 90 overall, one of the top three defensive tackles in, in football, which has, never been, it has not been true since 2018. But he is a good defensive tackle. He is a good defensive tackle that is not necessarily a dominant pass rusher. Kenny Clark had... 10 pressures in the first two weeks. He has nine pressures in the last six. He had three sacks in the first three weeks. He has one sack since. One. (laughs) Since week four in New England. From week four through week nine, he has zero. Then he had one sack against Dallas. He hasn't had a single sack since. I mean, you could argue since week three, the guy has fallen off. And who knows, maybe that's part of the issue that, that's going on with this defense, right? I mean, Tampa Bay was the last time we looked at this defense and said, dang, this is, this is you know, they're, they're looking all right. They're, they're promising to some degree. And then Rashawn goes out and the bottom falls out. Maybe there's something else going on with Kenny. I don't know. People go through stuff. And, and granted, again, there's the whole chicken or the egg thing. Did the defense fall off after Kenny fell off because something's wrong with Kenny? 
or did the team kind of fall off and Kenny checked out? Again, I'm seeing a lack of effort from Kenny either way. And I think there's a lack of effort from the defense in general, which leads me to believe that the defense in general gave out. But Kenny is the most blatant of anybody. This is this is horrible. Just 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 so we're clear. And and again, remember, really good start. He was one of the highest graded defensive tackles through the first probably five weeks of the season. As of right now, let me go through his career grades. 75, 87, 90, 79, 76, 75, 60. This is his lowest run defense grade at a 49. By the way, the only two bad grades against the run for Kenny Clark are the last two years under Joe Barry. Um, His tackling grade has been bad for four years straight. He's only had one good tackling grade. He's not a good tackler, period. Uh... Pass rush is, I guess, kind of on par, but I think that's being propped up by the first two weeks where he was in the 90s. He has not been even in the 60s since week 70. Uh, 70, since week 7. I was looking at his 70 grade in week 7. 48, 58, 54, 53, 51, and 56. That's where he's been as a pass rusher. Um, so, yeah, this is this is horrific, and I'm putting it on Kenny, so... Long answer to the first question. I cannot believe I just listened to the last Packernet After Dark, and Tom calls in and steals my freaking thunder. Dang. I have been spending five days writing the 12 days oh, of no. Green Bay <laughs> Christmas, and he calls in and freaking steals my thunder. I cannot believe it. Me and Tom are starting to think alike. I want to drive my vehicle into a tree. Well, I mean, you could, uh, I think he's done talking. You could still do it and we could compare and contrast, but I don't know if anybody wants to listen to one, much less two. So that's your call. You can call in and do it. That's, uh, it's, I mean, you. It's this is the listener-led show. You guys figure out what you want to do and I just, Kind of go along for the ride. So I'm, I like doing, digging up random things. Yes, you do. And what I dug up right now is how Aaron Rodgers has thrown nine interceptions this year, which is bonkers considering it's Aaron Rodgers. Uh-huh. However, if you look around the league, it's interesting to see other quarterbacks who have thrown interceptions equal to or higher than him. Because the top three quarterbacks, definitely top two. And then Joe Burrow is somewhere. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen have both thrown for 11. 11, yep. Joe Burrow has thrown for nine, albeit he has thrown 27 touchdowns compared to Rodgers, 22. Then there's Derek Carr dropping 10 interceptions to 20 touchdowns. Kirk Cousins dropped 9 to 20. So Packers, Rodgers, has thrown more touchdowns than Kirk Cousins. Just a little. <laughs> and then you got Matt Ryan, which you brought up a couple days ago, his worst year. Uh, and then Justin Fields, Davis Mills, and Marcus Mariota. Mariota has 
nine. Oh, and Dak. He also has nine. Justin Fields, ten. Davis Mills has twelve. So, not all of those guys are necessarily good quarterbacks, but it's interesting that there are four, five, six QBs on there that people would, most people would consider good or better. And I just can't imagine, like, what would happen if Rodgers was throwing these types of interceptions, the numbers at least, the past couple of years. People, I don't know if they could handle it. But the fact that it's an anomaly, that he is that good, that he is able to go for so long to where he's throwing an average amount of interceptions that high-quality quarterbacks are throwing. Not to sound – not to go after the people who are uh, the spoiled generation, but, damn, that's crazy. It's crazy that Rodgers is having a bad year and looking as good as everyone else. Well, a few things. Number one, he's not having an average year. He's one of the highest. Uh, he's he's tied for sixth most interceptions. Um, second, I hate when I try to think of all the different ones and then try to remember them and then wait for you to finish, and then it's like, I know I'm going to forget half of these. Oh, yeah. The second thing is the interceptions are not the reason he's being criticized. It's, it's a factor, and I would say it's even a low-ish factor. I don't know if anybody's ever even called in here and complained about the interceptions. Every single complaint about Aaron Rodgers has to do with not uh, playing within the scheme or not being comfortable in the pocket or not being accurate or not finding the open guy. So the interceptions are relatively high, and it's a low enough issue that most people aren't even concerned about it. But the final thing here is it's worth noting that and I know this is probably partially your point, but just another way of looking at the same information. This is pretty standard for a lot of these guys. So it's it's not as though, well, Josh Allen's having a bad year too. Well, Josh Allen has 11 interceptions. He had 15 last year. He had 11 in 2020. He had 9 in 2019 and 12 in 2018. So aside from 2019, it's been 12, 11, 15, 11. However, he still has a 90.6 overall grade and is the highest, I think, highest graded quarterback in all of football. So despite the interceptions, he is still playing at an unbelievably elite level. And so while it's true that you can say, well, why it's unfair that Rodgers is being critiqued, he throws less interceptions. Okay, but despite the lack of interceptions, he's still not playing up to this level. It's kind of like Jair, right? He, he has more interceptions. Okay, but his grade is about the same, which means the overall play is actually lower. So yeah, I mean, the the... Interceptions are just one facet, and it, it is true that he's, it's evidence that he's having a worse year because of the fact that it's, it's one facet in which he's significantly worse than he has been in the past. Same with Patrick Mahomes. Um, he's at 11 interceptions. He had 16 last year. Aaron Rodgers is at nine right now. He hasn't thrown nine since 2016, uh, assuming he throws one more interception. The last time he had more than nine was 2010. That was a, it's a good year, right? There's nothing wrong with it, which is why I would say that the interceptions are, are a, a lesser issue. I think it would be fair to say, if you want to keep the interceptions up, we're fine with it so long as the rest of the play is also up. I don't want the interceptions coming down if it means the play stays at this level. 
And I think most people would agree. And again, the reason I say that is because, again, I have not had a single call I, that I can recall about the interceptions being an issue for Rodgers this year. I, I even forgot it was a thing. So if I didn't think it was such a red herring or straw man, whatever you want to call it, I would agree that, yeah, it points to being somewhat spoiled that so many people are complaining about the interceptions. But again, I haven't heard a single person complain about the interceptions. It's kind of just everything else. Now, this is coming from a place of, at least for me, optimism that his play is going to improve. At least I hope it does to some degree. With the emergence of Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs coming back, despite the fact that I am probably more pessimistic about Dobbs' emergence than anybody else, and I am begging everybody to pump their brakes on Romeo Dobbs. But it's still a factor. So you got Christian, you got Romeo, you got Rodgers at least claiming his thumb's getting better. You've got the offensive line continuing to you know improve as time goes on, giving Rodgers more comfort. I have expectation that Rodgers will play okay, which is a bit of a stretch considering <laughs> he's had uh, two good games basically since week four. So starting in week five, it's been uh, his game against Buffalo and his game against Dallas, and that's it. But, uh, you know, I mean, we're talking about the the, the drop-off, I'm assuming, correlates to his thumb injury. And so if we take his word at it for his thumb, then, then it'll probably get better. But yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's again, he's he's up near the top by a lot of the other really good quarterbacks who throw a lot of interceptions. But again, a couple things. One of the things that makes Rodgers Rodgers is the lack of interceptions. So if he doesn't have it, it, it takes away from what Rodgers is. And number two, interceptions are not the main crux of the issue. Not for Rodgers and not for Mahomes and not... It's, same, it's, it's actually similar to drops, right? We, we criticize Christian Watson because, oh man, drops are terrible. Well, as I've said, Jamar Chase is, has a big issue with drops. A lot of really good wide receivers are up near the top in drops. It happens. You get over it if you're really, really good at what you do. But we'll see. We'll see how she goes the next couple weeks. Because I do expect Aaron Rodgers to be playing for the next several weeks. As I've said, which I'm not super excited about. Okay, I think I've come back down to earth after listening to that and responding with a call about Tom. Uh, Now, originally what I was going to call you about, Ryan, was uh, how Mr. Irrelevant comes in and starts a game for San Francisco and beats the GOAT in a game that uh, actually meant something. And it just makes me wonder, you know, if this defense can turn around with a new coordinator or with a little more experience and some uh, different leadership. Uh, you know, if they were in the top five in the NFL, what kind of quarterback would we really need to win some games? And I think, honestly, the future is pretty bright for the offense when it comes to the up-and-comers that uh, have been flashing this year, which leads me to believe uh, I'm going to be more in the camp of wanting to move on from Rodgers and see what Love can do, um, only because uh, this guy has shown that he possibly can do this, and he doesn't have to be Rodgers uh, nonetheless, but this scheme definitely can help him succeed. So uh, I'm just uh, interested to see how uh, Mr. Irrelevant go on and then to win number two against Seattle. Uh, it just goes to show you how, you know, even a quarterback that's picked the very last in the draft can have success in this league if he's got the right players around him. I'm out. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess my stance on it, 
which is fluid, right? Because things are pretty weird this year, and 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 I don't know how much we can buy into everything that's happening this year. Um, but I think it is a true statement to say you can win without having an Aaron Rodgers, a Pat Mahomes, a Josh Allen. However, I still think the most valuable thing you can have is a Aaron Rodgers, a Pat Mahomes, a Josh Allen. So it's not an absolute necessity. I mean, if you if you looked at the 49ers, you'd say you absolutely cannot count them out. No chance in the world. Their defense is top-notch. They've got a great scheme and a great uh, offensive play caller, and you know they, they have the ability to just grab a, a quarterback and plug him in, and, and he can just go execute. Um, I think we're seeing that in a few places. Maybe it's unfair to count out Geno Smith in Seattle and, and what he's done, but again, look what he's done. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Baker actually plays well in um, uh, for, the, for the Rams. Now, it's not to say he even played well last week or that I expect him to play well this week, but if he had a full year for the Rams, again, I think Baker's always been somewhat underrated. For some reason, we're supposed to look at what he did in Carolina and pretend that that's been the full body of his work as a quarterback, which is insane, but you take who he is and you plug him into a, uh, you know, again, the similar quarterback friendly scheme that made Jared Goff look much more competent. Although Goff's kind of putting it together in Detroit also, which again, there you go. Look at Detroit going on a run. They have Jared freaking Goff as their quarterback. So, you know, the, the, I guess the way I would say it is the teams with the best quarterbacks generally are going to be at the top. But not every team at the top is going to have all the best quarterbacks. That would be the best way I could possibly say it, right? So you got Josh Allen, who's at the top. Buffalo Bills are at the top. You've got Pat Mahomes at the top. You've got the Kansas City Chiefs at the top. Um, You've got Jalen Hurts this year is playing well enough to be at the top. And um, Philadelphia is at the top. However, Minnesota, not so much. San Francisco, absolutely not. Dallas, not so much. Baltimore, no. Even Cincinnati is kind of iffy, although maybe you could put them in that category. I don't really know. Tennessee, although they're not super great, they're at the top of their own whatever. Um, It's still the most important thing, but I don't know if it's as much of a necessity as as it maybe used to be. And again, the, the, the biggest... Uh, point to make, I think, in your favor as far as moving on, even if you don't buy into what I'm saying, look at where we're at. Even if you're saying, yes, you do need an elite elite quarterback to get ahead, okay, that still doesn't really give me much confidence because if Rodgers is that guy, what the heck are we doing way down here, right? Maybe it's just a broken thumb, I don't know, but you know that then you move on to the next argument of okay great he'll be good next year which will probably be his last year in football if he even comes back next year so th- this is why the whole move on thing to me is is just kind of or the the whole quarterback and Aaron Rod- aside from the fact that we've talked about it just ad nauseum to this point is it it has nothing to do with anything it, it it's not even down to it, it always comes down to his play right well he's still really good no he's not yes he is no he's not i don't care I don't care. He's got maybe one year left. If he was the MVP right now, we would still need to be talking about, dude, we got to make sure we got either Jordan Love locked up or we got a strong contingency plan to move on. Well, why? He's the MVP. 
That has nothing to do with the future. That has only to do with this year. So my, my thought on Rodgers in terms of his play is, is kind of up in the air. Um, in terms of his ability to come back next year and be dominant. But it's such a small factor to me at this point. I don't care. Of course, it, I mean, it would, it would almost be ridiculous to assume that he just went to zero this year. It doesn't even make sense. Granted, I, I still don't think he deserved MVP in 2021, but he was a very, 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 very good quarterback. I don't think he went to zero. I don't. But I also don't freaking care. He's done. He's, he's, he's made it very clear that he's done. Whether it be after this year or after next year, he's not going to continue playing football very much longer. And we have no choice but to think about the future. It doesn't mean we necessarily have to do it this year, but I, I do not, want, in, in a lost year, want to detriment, put, put any kind of undue stress on the future for the sake of today. So I know I, know I have said the same thing a thousand times. But that is my absolute rock-solid official point, uh, official stance at this point. I just, you, you, you can go at it with everybody else about his play. It's really irrelevant to me. Um, he hasn't played up to his standard, but regardless of whatever it is you think, doesn't matter. He could be an MVP today, and we still have to come up for a plan with a plan for the future starting potentially as early as next year. Hello. How's it hanging? Hey, man. Well, okay. Yes. Um, question. Is it bad that I love getting into fights on Twitter? I don't know. I hate it, which sounds surprising because I do it more than probably anybody, but I, I really do hate it a lot. I feel like that's a bad thing, right? Probably. It says a lot about me. Maybe. I don't know. I can't judge, man. I can't man. help it. Glass houses. When I see a person being dumb or stupid, dude, I have this innate yeah. thing inside me. That I think you and I probably come down on different sides of, of certain things, you know? But I, I'm with you in everything you're saying right now. It's like, hey, you're being dumb and stupid. Right. And a lot of people, they don't take kindly to being shown their... Uh... I will say this, though. This is where we're different. You, based on what you're describing, are the person who will see a tweet and then pull an actually. And I'm the guy who says things, and when people come in and go, actually, it freaking ticks me off to no end. The majority of the time, and by the majority of the time, I mean 100% of the time, it's because people are not being correct in what they're saying about what I'm saying. They either want to pull all kinds of straw men where they're, you know, or red herrings, or they're trying to pull me in all different directions or bring up different things or what. They won't address my point. For example, I'm sorry, I'll let you finish. I posted about how the uh, Packers are one and seven when they don't run for 175 yards. And we get a Mr. Actually who pulls up and is like, this is stupid. This has been debunked. Everybody already knows that high rushing yards is, is what happens when you're winning the game and you're putting the game away. So that doesn't correlate to more wins. It's not what I said, though. I didn't say the Packers win more. It's true. 
that over 175 we win, but that's not what I said. I said under 175 we lose. Well, you so you still can't correlate losing or or winning or anything to rushing. Rushing doesn't mean anything. Uh, okay, you're a jag off. You're a jag off. The fact that you decided to come in here and try to tell me that I'm an idiot for posting just generic stats with no implications and to try to tell me what my implications are and to try to make me feel like an idiot just because you're a freaking douchebag who feels like trying to make me stupid out of nowhere for just providing context and information and content to Packer fans who find it interesting. You've come out of your way to try to make me feel like an idiot, and you don't know what the heck you're talking about. You're actually an idiot. And you think you sound smart. Actually, everybody knows that it's you run out the clock and you run up rushing yards after you're winning. That's not what I said. That's why the record says one and seven. Who's talking about winning and putting the game away by running the ball, you dumb jerk off? Nobody's saying that. But so, so now I got to get wrapped up into an argument, and most of my frustration is the fact of basically screw you and mind your own business. Seriously, like I know it's social media and everybody feels they're entitled to just be like, oh, let me jump in here and call you an idiot. I'm sorry, you're not. You're not. And I'm going to just tear you up. At the very least, you better be 100% correct because I'm not going to let this go. I'm going to freaking bury you and make sure that everybody that happens to come across this and every single person that liked your tweet to what I said is going to realize that they're an idiot for even liking that tweet about what because you thought that what he said made sense, which means you're an idiot. Just, it drives me insane to no end. It just does. And, and, and again, and then you get people, oh, God, you can't take criticism. This isn't criticism. This isn't constructive. I'm not an idiot. I know what constructive criticism is. And I know when somebody's trying to be a D-bag who thinks they're going to come and dunk in my face like you're telling me something. You think I don't know? Like I haven't said on this podcast before that winning... And, and high running numbers correlate because of running the ball after you're winning the game. This is basic information. I'm not an idiot. I'm well aware of that. Kick me off, man. Anyways, go ahead and tell me about how you jump on people's uh, thing and start calling them stupid so I can not like you, Tom. They're waiting. Accurately. And so... You know, it sort of spirals out of control from there. I'm sure that you and Bears fans have a similar relationship yep. to, to the way that my brain's working with it. Um, but, yeah, I, I I love it. I love getting into Twitter fights. I, I think the people that comment on my stuff are like, they're like you in that they just love it. They They love, I don't. I'm just providing some real, like, dude, this is interesting. And I go on Twitter, like, hey, check this out. This is interesting. And then a bunch of people are like, oh, that is interesting. And they give it a little like, and a couple of people retweet it, like, oh, yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah, we all find it interesting. And then somebody comes along and they're like, it's not interesting. You're an idiot. And everybody that like, it's like they're offended that so many people liked it because now it's you are the superior intellect. I'm not talking about you necessarily, Tom. I mean, I'm sure you're, but it's like, I'm the superior. And I can't believe all these people liked. So I'm going to show everybody how stupid you are. But you're an idiot. 
And and how much how how much of a douche do you have to be to be so angry about something so benign? No, I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about that guy. <laughs> I'm allowed to be worked up. Leave me alone. I'm I'm just tired of it. Social media is so stupid. The amount of people that are complete 40 IQ morons who can't even tie their shoes, whose sole job in life is to run around on Twitter and try to make everyone else feel stupid because they genuinely believe they're so smart and they know numbers and they got it all figured out. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Nope. Nope. You're wrong. I know you got all, like, I I could feel you get all excited because you saw somebody cite a stat that you know is not accurate, but then you got so worked up you didn't actually read it and realize that's not what I said. Right? It's, It's just, it's daily. Daily. Every single thing that I do, every single post that I make on Twitter, there's some D bag that's got something to say. Shut up! Leave me alone. Get a life. Good Lord. Pathetic loser. Not you, though, Tom. I'm, I'm sure you're commenting on stupid stuff with smart stuff. I'm just saying. If you're going to bring it, you better freaking know what you're talking about. And nobody ever, ever, ever does. And immediately after I respond, they move the goalpost and, and start talking about something else. Well, what about this? What about... Nope, nope. We weren't talking about that, you idiot. But I've also been that type of person who loves getting into debates. My wife says they're arguments, but <laughs> they're debates. And I can't help it. It's just, I love it. I live for it. Is that bad? I think that might be bad. I'll take your ruling on the matter. All right, bye. I don't know, man. I just, I know I I don't like, I've come to realize I don't like arguing. But I like you. I don't mean I like you. I mean, I do. But similar to you, um, I can't tolerate stupidity, especially. Like, I, I, I can scroll past it. But I can't tolerate a stupid person trying out of nowhere. Like, I'm just sitting here hanging out and somebody strolls up and they're like, hey, you're an idiot. Like, excuse me? Yeah, you're an idiot. You said two plus two is four and it's six. Okay, I'll tell you what, I'm going to dedicate the next two hours to trying to my best for my computer to ruin your life if I can. Because you, you, oh boy, you have officially pissed me off. And that's how I spend every day of my life. That is, that is what Twitter is to me. Anyways, uh, I don't know. I guess, I'm, I guess I'm worked up about that Vikings game. <laughs> I, I, should we take a break? I guess we'll take a break. I haven't even got through any calls. We'll, we'll call this a long episode. We'll take a break here. We'll come back and uh, talk about some stuff. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. 
And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Hey, Ryan. This is uh, Nico here. Hey, man. Uh, So Thomas just asked a question about what team could play with the team from like... This really is the Thomas Austin show. (laughs) Every non-caller is calling in talking about Tom. The 80s. And honestly, my your answer was perfect. The uh, the the 90s back in the 80s, um, and a lot of younger folks will have like, oh, we're faster, bigger, stronger now. I mean that that's true, especially for like linemen and stuff. Uh, but there was, you know, Daryl Green ran a four two forty until he was 40 years old. He played for Washington. There was there was four two guys back then. Um, there was tall receivers, maybe not as tall now. Wasn't a lot of you know six three cornerbacks like there are now, but there was dudes like Jair that were pretty damn good. I would think if a team, modern team now played like the prime you know eighties uh, Niners, that they would play so tough that our team would quit because football players ain't like they used to be. If you watch an old game from like the late seventies, early eighties, you'd be surprised how many times people were just eviscerated. All this old hitting receiver when they're, uh, you know, in a compromised position or whatever, stretched out. They did that every play. I mean, every play. Linebackers would hit quarterbacks three seconds after they threw a ball and just declete them and drive them into the ground like a fence post. And they'd get back up and keep playing. Guys nowadays, they wouldn't know how to handle that. I mean, yeah, there's tough guys now, but people arm tackle. People just don't, they don't. They don't, they don't play as tough as they used to. So I think bigger guys are probably faster now, but they were so mean back then and tough. And I mean, you'd have, uh, who was the, who was the safety for the Niners back then? He coached too. Uh, Ronnie Lott, that guy would knock the head off the most receivers. And they'd be like, I ain't running down the field no more because Ronnie Lott would kill you. Remember Chuck Cecil? He did that back in the 90s. He would knock people's heads off. So they, they just hit people so much harder back then than if you're if you're a receiver and you're like, I gotta go run a middle route, heck no, because three dudes are gonna knock me into next week. So uh yeah, I I think the advantage would go to the older teams. And honestly there was there was even teams back in the forties and fifties that were you know, we kinda don't know about it a lot, us young folks, but I mean uh, there was some Ram teams through you know, quarterbacks through for five thousand yards in a year. I mean they they did a lot of stuff, a lot of you know they were probably even tougher. So uh, I would give my head, my uh, edge to the early 80s Niners. Yeah. Do you remember when um, when Mayweather fought uh, McGregor? 
and Mayweather beat McGregor. Do you know why Mayweather beat McGregor? Because it was a boxing match. Do you know what happened if it was an MMA fight? McGregor would have eviscerated him. I think this is the same thing. If you took the best 2022 team and put them in the 1980s, and um, I've been talking for an entire season, but with the exact same rules and everything else, I think it would be a garbage football team. If you took the best 1980s team and brought them up today for a season, and um, you know all, all the rules for today, I think that they would be garbage. That's my assumption. I guess I don't really know that, but that would be my thought. So, I'm thinking, why do we take in consideration top 10 lists? Because when it comes down to it, top 10 doesn't really matter. Because it's more so the top eight. The top eight, like I, the elite eight, that's where it gets serious. Because 9, 10, 11, 12, they, they're kind of free-forming. They're all, you know, interchangeable. But why, I just, why do we, cons- why do we take top 10 into consideration? Why not just whittle it down? It's less work. It's, you know, it's not like a good. Is this a broad question that applies to everything, or is there something specific that we're talking number about? Number 8, 10, there. But that... You break it down, that's the top six of the league? No. What? <laughs> Hold on. Fourth. Wow, my brain went dumb. It's been a long day. Anyway, tell me what your thought is about that, considering top ten, top eight. All right. Bye. Um... The the only thing I could think to give sort of credence to that would be that, as you said, we'd be talking about the top 25%. Assuming we're talking about 32 teams. Um, so if you're top eight, and even, well, yeah, I guess it's still still true. Um, well, it, it it is or it isn't depending on what we're talking about. If we're talking about wide receivers in your top eight out of like 200, then we're not talking top 25%. We're talking about a lot more than that. But really, we're just exchanging round number for round number, right? We we go with top 10 because it's a round number. Top 8, based on the reason that I said, only makes sense because it's a nice, clean one-fourth. As far as that's where it gets serious, I mean, that's maybe kind of case-by-case basis. I mean, everything's kind of down into tiers, and it could be like the top two and then it drops off, and then you got the next five, and then you got whatever. So, uh, yeah, top ten is useless, but it's as useless as any other number with the exception of number one. Everything else is just kind of random numbers that you throw together. Uh, so I guess that would be the answer to the question from my perspective. All right, so uh, here's my call for Sunday. I'm sorry, Monday. All right. First, I'll get it now, so maybe you'll play this like on Wednesday. All right. <laughs> so, I think CW, Christian Watson, I think he has two splash plays, 
possibly two touchdowns, but at least one, one long haul, and another good splash play. He was growing up. Aaron's going to feel the ball a little better. Some's feeling better. Had a week off. He's going to do good. I know they got Bobby Wagner. God, I hate Bobby Wagner. I was hoping they would sign him, waste a lot of money. He would be bad, but he's so good. But I think A.J. Dillon has a good day. The key is he's got to get 20 touches. He ain't going to have no good day if he gets 10 touches. I heard another podcast, some guy named Fem Bennell or whatever, some douchebag. Guy sound like he hates the Packers. Him and Homeboy were calling Dillon a bad pick. Like, uh, maybe because of the round he was in. But how, can you call a guy a bad pick when he gets, well, he's like five or six games with under 10 carries. Like four or five games with 10 carries. That fool needs 20 carries a game. Because I guarantee you he gets 75% of his yards in the second half. Plus, you can lose a lot, and sometimes it goes worse than that. But I don't know. I just, sometimes they just want to be like, the sky is falling, and screw that. So, Christian Watson has two splash plays. Aaron Rodgers looks good. Dylan looks good. I think the fact that Aaron's going to be a little more accurate means he's going to spread the ball around. Rams don't scare me. The only thing that scares me is Bobby Wagner. Now, if I can line an offensive <laughs> If I can line an offensive guard right on his nose the whole time, I'd be good with that, but I can't because he's great. Uh, Doc, he don't scare me. He'll just try to choke someone when he gets mad that he don't have five sacks. So, uh, <laughs> didn't say screw. Uh, screw that fool. I kind of did. So, that's my call. And, uh, <clears throat> as far as all the Christmas movies, I don't know. I mean, I mean, if a movie comes out during Christmas and has a Christmas theme, I guess technically it could be considered a Christmas movie. But Bruce Willis himself says that uh, Die Hard 1 ain't no Christmas movie. So, I mean, that has to mean something. Uh, I mean, to me, the best Christmas movies, the only two that I can think of right now are Christmas Story, Christmas Vacation, Hello, Can't See the Lines for Us, Doesn't Get Any Better Than That, Cousin Eddie, The Best Guy on the Planet. Uh, and then there's probably some other ones. A lot of them are boring. Those two are my best. Uh... And that's it. I'm out. So uh, go back, go. I appreciate your thoughts on uh, the game. Now on to the Christmas movies. So <laughs> first, I just saw a video of the, uh, the, the cop from that. He just did an interview, and he said it is a Christmas movie. And everyone's like, oh, that, that just proves it. And I was going to say, well, if I can find anybody on saying it's not, does that mean it's not? And apparently uh, Bruce says it's not. But here, here's... I'm going to I'm going to do it again similar to what I just did with the McGregor thing. You know the whole um dress thing? Like some people see these colors and some people see those colors. If you you see what you see, you can't help what you see. And there's there's nothing wrong with being in the camp that's like, "Hey, here's what my brain sees." I'm not going to argue with you and be like, "No, here's what your brain sees." No, that's that's there's what you see. But then there's still an objective reality to what is. And there's technically two. Um, I forget the, the colors, but the wrong color is, is actually like what the dress actually is. But then there's what's in the photo, which I've demonstrated this numerous times and people get mad at me because it apparently takes all the fun out of it. But you can just take a screen grab of the dress and then separate it out and be like, here's the color. And then like, that's ah, not the color. It's like, this is literally the color. In fact, you can even get a color picker online and it'll tell you like what the the color is or whatever. And kind of give you an, uh, an idea of 
what it is, and that's that's what it actually is. So what I'm saying is, for the Christmas movies in general, one fair enough answer is, if it feels like a Christmas movie, it's a Christmas movie, which means it's subjective. If it makes you feel all Christmassy to watch Die Hard, great. I mean, there's nothing for you to even fight about. There's nothing for me to argue with you about. It's a subjective thing. It makes me feel Christmassy. Gets me in the Christmas spirit. All right, cool, man. But if we're going to say, nope, it's not subjective, it's objective, this is a real thing, which is what I feel like we've been trying to do, I can't help but fall on the side of it's, it's not a Christmas movie because I can't draw any definitive line that makes sense that has Die Hard with all the other Christmas movies and all the very clearly not Christmas movies still in the non-Christmas movie category. There is no real distinct defining feature. Other than, again, just putting all the movies over there. Like anything to do with Christmas, like you said, comes out on Christmas time. Snow falling, Christmas music. All right, it's a Christmas movie. But I, I genuinely think most people that say, yes, it's a Christmas movie, say that because it makes them think of Christmas. It makes them... You know, it's it's like, all right, let's do Die Hard, man. It's a Christmas tradition. Gets me in the Christmas spirit. There's Christmas music. There's snowfall. Like, it's just a whole thing. That's fine, man. Then it is a Christmas movie to you, subjectively, as long as we're willing to agree that it's subjective. You want to get into objective? I don't think I can get on board with that. Same with, uh, what's the other thing we were talking about? Um, Star Wars. All right, I, I, people, yeah, I, I like all kinds of stupid stuff because I liked it when I was a kid. All kinds of stupid stuff. Objectively, is it a good movie? Are they good movies? I, um, I don't think so. I can't get behind it. What are some guilty pleasure artists or songs for you personally? Very white. And <laughs> so, all right. I got to get technical now. What what do we mean by guilty pleasures? I guess I got to Google it because it's one of those things I know how to, I kind of know what it means, but now that I'm sitting here thinking specifically, I can't exactly know what that means. All right, here we go. Definition of guilty pleasure. Something such as a movie, television program, or piece of music that one enjoys despite feeling that it is not generally held in high regard. So we could just go with underrated or something. Hey, I, legitimately, Barry White, um, I do enjoy, although there's a whole genre that isn't really appreciated by me, but is generally appreciated. For example, um, I don't even know, is it was R&B back in the day, funk. I don't listen to it a ton, but there's that. I'm trying to think of something I've listened to recently that people aren't super stoked about. Artists or songs? I can't think of anything. I mean, I... I I know there's probably some stuff, probably maybe a lot of things. I it depends what we mean by not super high regard. I mean, nothing that's generally disliked. I mean, I guess I do fall on the uh, pro Nickelback side. I haven't listened to them in a long time, but I did enjoy them when they were popular. If that's kind of what we're talking about. But yeah, I, d I don't currently listen to them. I'll let you finish this here. If you were to ask your wife how she would describe you in three words, and if you were to describe yourself in three words, how closely do you think those would match up? Bye. Um, not very good. Um, might depend if this was something where you were just to extract an honest answer from her, like put her to sleep, not put her to sleep, but like she's sleeping and you like 
pull it out of her brain and a perfectly honest answer, it might kind of line up. But I think if you were to, like, let's say for the sake of the podcast, have her do this thing where she came up, it would be a very nice and flattering uh, thing that I would not certainly not say about myself. Uh, I don't know what mine would. No, the, the, the answer to the question is no, they would not line up. Hey, Ryan. Um, I'm just going to settle this whole debate for everybody right now. It's pretty easy. You can Google it and find it very quickly. Bruce Willis did an interview. I don't know when. But Bruce Willis gave the answer in the interview of whether or not Die Hard is a Christmas movie. He says Die Hard is not a Christmas movie, which I have to agree. It is not a Christmas movie. And if Bruce Willis is saying it's not a Christmas movie, then that just settles the debate. I don't know why people still argue about it. He already... You already decided. So anyway, just thought I'd let you know. We can just settle it now. Go back, go. So kind of talked about it. I, I will say this though, because you know Bruce Willis said the one. I, I got to look up the guy's name, so I'm not just calling him the the cop. Al Powell, portrayed by Reginald Vell Johnson, he did an interview and says it is a Christmas movie. Here's the thing, though. I think that just proves that it's subjective, which is to say it's objectively not. If you were to ask the uh, staff or the uh, what do you uh, the, the actors and actresses of uh, The Exorcist if the movie is demonic or you know a uh, horror movie or having to do with Satan would there be any discrepancy whatsoever No they'd be like of course it's a horror movie of course it's it's about Satan and demons or devils or whatever it's it's it is. It's just what it is. If you ask the cast, that's the word I was searching for, of Die Hard if it's a Christmas movie, they don't agree, which again means it's subject. Now, the question would be, is Christmas movie more subjective than, for example, horror? Like, what is the most Christmassy movie? Um, how about A Christmas Story? That is categorized as comedy family. Well, the 2022 version is, I guess. I don't know. I'm just looking at uh, what Google says here. So even a Christmas story isn't categorized as Christmas, but I do think it falls more heavily on the non-official Christmas movie, uh, whatever, if there isn't consensus, especially if the main character is like, nah, it ain't a Christmas movie, it's an action movie. I didn't sign up to be... And here's another question. Do you think it was pitched to the actors as a Christmas movie? Do you think it even came up at all, other than to say it takes place on Christmas Eve? I think Bruce Willis agreed to do an action movie, not a Christmas movie. So again, uh, objectively, there's no way. It's just, there's, there's no way. There's it's too much. It's too much. Subjectively cool. Gives you the Christmas feel. Objectively, it is not a Christmas movie. On the third day of pack, Mr. Goody gave to me three contributing tight ends, two wonderful halfbacks, and one potential superstar rookie. Did we miss day two? Or did I just not remember? I don't know. But here we are on the third day of... Uh, <laughs> the uh, Google Translate is pretty fantastic. It says, on the third day of Pac-Man's Gucci. So, there you go. Uh, all right, let's do one more, and then we're going to get out of here. Hey, Ryan, listening to the podcast today and talking about Rogers and all his hand signals and great pod, by the way. Um, it just kind of cracks me up because 
just a you know a month ago, Rogers like we got to simplify things. We got to simplify things. <laughs> Sounds like he's the one that's making things more complicated than they need to be. And uh, I- that is a fair point. It is interesting when you look at. Um, obviously, I gave my two cents, and I was even a little split on my thoughts on it. Mostly that it's probably going to get blown out of proportion, but whatever. But um, I mean, even people that are usually in lockstep on Twitter, you're seeing them kind of at each other's throats about the significance of this, what parts are significant and what ways they're significant. Um, and I, I think one fair point that was brought up is, you know, this, that the hand signals things and the check with me stuff, this is what makes Rogers great. And it's silly to want to complain about it now. I mean, we've seen the, the greatness of it and all that, but to your point, um, to then come back and complain about simplicity when according to the wide receivers, the most complex and awful part of the entire offense is all the Aaron Rodgers stuff. <laughs> that is uh, that is a little, I guess, interesting. I kind of, you know, he, um, he's one of those guys that, like, you know, he, he is smart, like he's a deep thinker, but sometimes I feel like deep thinkers, and Rodgers specifically in this case, can get to thinking that they that they are smarter than they actually are and they start to believe all this stuff and they sell themselves on this stuff and and back to like how this relates to the signal calling you know it's like i'm i'm smarter than everyone else i hear i can run these hot routes and these signals and everyone else can just figure it out and either you can catch up to me or you can sit on the bench and then I think that maybe leads to why he gets so singled in on one receiver half time. If he maybe he called a hot route for that receiver with one of his special hundred hand signals, and he he's sure that they're going to be open. And well, they're not always open. So I don't know just where my brain went as I was thinking through everything when I was listening to the pod. But I don't know. Interesting for sure. I'm hoping that. Uh, well, if we move on from Rogers and go to Love, that Love doesn't try to carry that on, and maybe Lafleur can help shut that down. I don't think things need to be quite that complicated, especially when you have a good team. All right, bye. Yeah, and again, I'll just reiterate what I've said. I mean, uh, there isn't. I'm sure there are people that know this and study this that are going to laugh hysterically at my attempt to comprehend these things, but there isn't just such a thing as as just being smart, you know in terms of like there's just one kind and either you're super smart in every possible way or you're a dummy. Um, I think there are people that, for example, can um, retain a lot of information. Let's call that knowledgeable. You, you know, you go to school, you go to college, you read all the books and you're able to retain it and you just have a bunch of information in your brain. That's cool. And you're an encyclopedia and you can recite things back to people. I think Rogers has that ability. Um, he can consume it, he can retain it, and he can recall it. He's extremely knowledgeable. Um, then, you know, from there, you, you've got the ability to process information. And he has a, a, we know he has a pretty good processor. He's a quarterback to be able to, in terms of, um, you know, new information as it comes in to, to you get the ball, the defense is doing this, that, or the other, and you have to be able to read things and react to things pretty quickly. But that doesn't necessarily bring us all the way down to, for example, intelligence 
or wisdom, right? I don't think we're at intelligence yet. We haven't really gotten out of, you know, book smarts. What does the book say to do in this situation? Well, I can reach into my memory bank, quickly process it, quickly get it back out. That doesn't necessarily have to do with, you know, wisdom. And I'm not saying he's dumb in these areas. I'm, I'm just saying it's not all-encompassing so that because we know that he's quote-unquote smart, he's smart in every possible way and questioning his intelligence is, is insane. He's not a, a flawless human being. He's allowed to have areas where he's not perfect. So it, yeah, it's entirely possible that he thinks things are the right thing to do and he's wrong. He thinks that this is the best way to go about things. You know, I mean, for example, the the idea about him kind of being involved in personnel matters. Well, he's he's a quarterback and he's highly intelligent. Well, he has a really good memory, but that doesn't make him omniscient. So I I think the larger part here is I mean, Rogers is never going to shy away from anything. If you present him with a challenge, he'll attack it head on with full confidence and good for him. He is, you know smart and and potentially wise and who knows right i think this kind of goes to the part about being a, a deep thinker and you know kind of when he gets off into the weeds on things i think he trusts himself a little bit too much and he's not really being wise with information all the time but he just assumes because well i got this high processor that means i just i know stuff and what if i think it it must be true or whatever i don't know but the point is he needs to have guys around him people around him that can kind of keep him in check a little bit and again, he's not going to like it. He's going to push back. He's going to get mad when you say, no, I'm the GM, you're the quarterback, you throw the football and shut your mouth and let me handle stuff. He's not going to want to hear that. But guess what? Tough. You are not omniscient. You don't know everything. You can't do everything. You can't be everywhere. And that's the same with you know the, the complexity in the offense. If, and I'm saying if, at any point Matt LaFleur said, hey, these hand signals are a little bit much. We got a bunch of young guys here. Rodgers, I know you're the man, and I know you can do all this stuff, and that's cool. And even, you know, Randall could probably keep up with most of this, but that's not exactly where we're at, so we're going to dial that back. If that was at any point his thought, I don't care what Aaron Rodgers' IQ is or what he thinks he knows is is right. Matt LaFleur's the coach. He needs to be able to step in and say, we're not doing this. We have to dial it back. And as you said, I mean, Rodgers would be the, the... He could easily do that by just not requiring so much of the wide receivers. And yeah, I'm, and, I, and I'm not even opposed to it. You know, I mean, again, when you see it in action, when you see Rodgers and Devontae or Rodgers and Jordy, it, it is indefensible. And I have no issue with Jordan Love becoming that guy, but the, 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 the process is he needs to build that with his receivers and not expect that necessarily day one from the guys that don't have that. And if, for example, he, let's say he is the, ne- the guy for the next 15 years, and he and Watson kind of get on that page, or he and Dobbs get on that page, and eventually Watson and Dobbs leave, and he's got some young guys, you don't then say, hey, guess what? This is what we're doing, and I expect you to get on the same page as guys that were here for 10 years. No, or eight years or whatever. No, you you have to dial yourself back. That would be the expectation. Yes, you bring them up to speed, but you don't bring them up to speed week one. This is a slow, gradual process that takes months and years. So while we are slowly bringing them along, we have a broader plan that is much more dumbed down because we have a much younger group of guys. 
So our offense is not built on Rodgers-Devante offense. That doesn't make any sense. It's not built on 30 hand checks, despite how great they are and how great it makes Rodgers look and everything else and how, you know, all that stuff. Hey, I know exactly what to do. Fling, fling, flume. I'm whipping my hand around. Sorry, dude. Just going to have to get over the fact that you can't do that for now. We'll get there, but, you know, it's like uh, Sammy said in in that article. You know, a lot of these guys, Sammy included, um, you spend so much time thinking you're not playing because you're thinking about how you're supposed to be doing this and what this is supposed to da, 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 da. This is, as you said, this is what simplifying is. These are the things that need to be cut out. Here's the play. Run it. Oh, what if I see something? You, you can change it if you want, but you have to choose. Do you want simplicity or complexity? You can't say you want one, but then do the other while still complaining that we're not doing this and then throwing Matt LaFleur under the bus. Which is funny because I remember when Matt LaFleur was asked about it, his answer was what? I don't even know what that means. In other words, what am I supposed to do to simplify this? It's as simple as I could possibly make it. I think that's fair. But I, I, I think what ultimately is happening is that Rodgers wants the simplicity to come via Matt LaFleur. You stop using all your motion and stuff, which completely decimates the entire Matt LaFleur offense. You stop doing all that stuff. But all the complex stuff I'm doing, we're going to keep doing that. I mean, I don't, I don't want to say unfair things, but is, is, is it possible that it's anything else? I mean, we are still doing that, right? And we do know that the wide receivers say it's very complicated, right? And we know that Aaron Rodgers says he wants to be less complicated, right? So those three things are real. I don't think I'm saying anything that could possibly be anything else. But anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. You guys have a great day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.